If data is in a pool that only keeps getting deeper as data inventory is accounted for, when is the exact moment for a business leader to jump in and do something with all of that accumulated information? Leaders who care about data appreciate that it's necessary to take stock before analyzing and strategizing. But taking inventory could be all one does because whether it's in a small or a large business, the amount of data is only increasing. Mara Reef, the chief data officer of FreshBooks, suggests to account for enough data to begin the work and then to dive in. The comment that I make often is, if I were to go tell my boss, give me three years and I'll give you something, I wouldn't have a job for much longer. So along the way, what you really try to do is say, okay, well, but what's also the value that I can bring from the data that I do know that I have? So often people are so focused on, I don't have this or I don't have that, without saying, well, let's look at what I do have and what can I do with it? Because I think there's a lot of quick wins you can get with just what you have already and what you know that you have. And then you start to build on it. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Mara explains how FreshBooks is using data to support small businesses with their accounting needs. She describes innovations concerning data that she's excited about and how they apply data at FreshBooks. Mara also chats about how her background in science guided her along her journey into the data world. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries, and today we have a special guest. She is the Chief Data Officer at FreshBooks, Mara Rafe. Mara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. All right. Right out the gate, we ask all of our guests the same question, but for those who don't know what FreshBooks is, because I believe is the newly is a newly minted unicorn based on its latest funding round, for those who don't know what FreshBooks is, please, if you could, what is FreshBooks and what does it do? Sure. FreshBooks is one of the world's leading cloud accounting software solutions, and it's built with owners in mind. Uh, it really helps small business owners manage their finances, billing, payments, client engagement. We're headed quartered in Canada, but we are a global company and has been used by thirty over 30 million people in 160 countries around the world, really helping owners be focused on what they want to be doing while we take care of business operations in the back end. Yes. And the way I look at accounting and tax compliance software in that category, I always think of it as like, everybody needs it and nobody wants to deal with it. So you have to make it as easy as possible. Is that kind of the angle FreshBooks is taking towards? It's like, just how do we continuously simplify this process, which of course everyone has to deal with. And like I said, nobody actually wants to do it. hundred percent. I mean, I think the original vision of the company was to allow small business owners to to run their businesses without having to learn accounting. That was sort of the the way it started, right? Was you didn't want to open up your software and ask be asked to put in a bunch of GL code. So it was you run your business and we'll take care of everything else. And, and that's really, really the vision that the company has and what they're trying to do for small business owners around the world. And for our audience, just to get an idea of some scales, Mara hinted at it, but we saw and pulled some information off the website and some our research. It looks like FreshBooks operates in over 100 countries. It does. Okay. There's a lot of tax laws across those. I want to dive into your role because this is where it's fascinating because it's one thing to build accounting software that understands a single country. Then you can talk about cross-country borders. I mean, this is a really complex solution uh, that you have to somehow, you know, your UI, UX team, they got to simplify it and make it easy. Talk about your role as a chief data officer. What does that mean? What are you like principally tasked with in the company to make it easier for, you know, customers? 
you know, I was brought into FreshBooks earlier this year and really with the notion of, we know that data is an important thing and we know that there's, we have so much of it and there's so much we can do to support our small business owners, but we don't know how to do it. And so can you please help us with that? And that was sort of the, the very broad mission as it started, right? And was to say, how do we leverage the information that we have to, to do a better job in supporting our owners? There's lots of information that, that they can take advantage of that, that exists, but on the micro scale, sometimes it's hard to do that and it's hard to understand you know, how to move that forward. That's really been been my mission. And I and I started really just trying to understand what we have, how we're using it, how it's structured, and putting a team together to really start and, and go and execute on that mission. Then what I had to do, and it was because you know, you start with that as a goal, and it's really turned into then also understanding how all the technology that we have impacts the data that we have. And so I think there was a conversation I had had. With the CEO, when I first joined, he said, Martin Omara, you're responsible for all the data in the company. And I said, <laughs> I said, I, I refuse to be responsible for all the data in the company when anyone can go and put any software in place that can then go and create more data. As you and I were talking about before, it, it expands because it's it's sort of hard to put necessary guidelines around exactly what the role is. But I think the way I the, the way I've started, that was sort of how I started. 10 months in, I see myself as the advocate for our data. And really what that means is how do we make sure people are taking care of it, understand what it is and are using it appropriately. And by appropriately, I mean, you know, that that's things like using it intelligently, but also are we taking advantage of it, of what we have and are we, are we being responsible with it? That's, I think the role that that I've been playing and that, and that I see myself generating. And when you think about that, it's how do we use it? It's easy to think about from a simple perspective, but as you start to get into more complicated applications, you start to think about, you really need somebody to own that piece because it's it's more than than just reporting. Let's go into that one aspect that you, you mentioned, which I think every person who ascends to become a chief data officer or a steward of a company's data, you kind of hit the same problem. I think they all hit the same problem. The first step would be, well, what do I have and where is it? <laughs> right. And it sounded like you wanted the first thing you did was I call it inventory uh, control, something like, can, hey, can I map? Can you map out to me like every database, every instance, what data is collected, what's pooled, what's not pooled, what's siloed, what's blended? I'm guessing you came to the first meeting and asked those simple questions and people just looked back and forth. We, hey, that's why we hired you. You got to figure this out for me. <laughs> so how did you approach figuring this out? Because this is not an uncommon problem but it's not an easy problem either. So how did you go about solving this? It's not an easy problem. And I can't tell you that I've solved all of it yet. But I think for me, it's been really about unpacking the, what do we have? But more than the, what do we have? It's, but what do we want to do with it? So one of, one of the places that I start is there's a responsibility that we have to understand and assetize our data. Like you said, inventory management, and we're working on that. You know, I've got an awesome team who's really starting to go and categorize and understand what we have and where it sits. And, you know, we started building spreadsheets and, and, and whatnot. But at some point you say, okay, I think I know enough to now know what I have to do. And what I have to do is start to get proper tooling in place to have proper inventory management. But also the comment that I make often is if I were to go tell my boss, give me three years and I'll give you something, I think I would I wouldn't have a job for much longer. So, <laughs> so along the way, what you really try to do is say, okay, well, but what's also the value that I can bring from the data that I do know that I have? And I think there's so often people are so focused on, I don't have this or I don't have that without saying, well, let's look at what I do have and what can I do with it? 
because I think there's a lot of quick wins you can get with just what you have already and what you know that you have, and then you start to build on it. And so that's really what we've also been focusing on is the, how do we understand what we, what we have that we know and what are some things we can do with it? Because to me, data is information, but it's really not, it doesn't drive business value unless you take action with it. And so for me, it's really about focusing on, on what am I going to do about it and how's it going to change? So what was one of those first projects, opportunities, whatever it may be, maybe it was your idea, maybe it was a team member idea that you and the team quickly saw like, and said to yourselves, hey, this is an opportunity for FreshBooks to accelerate our mission. Uh, you observed something that was probably true or maybe it was unnoticed before. What were some of the things that started emerging really quickly so that you didn't have to wait three years? For sure. So I think there's a couple of pieces. I mean, I think number one, there's there's all the internal use cases that you know you can think about in terms of how do we help marketing get better and identify customers and trialers who are most likely to be, you know, to see value about our product to help target marketing and sales efforts and those kinds of things. And, and, and so we started with some of that kind of stuff. But as it related to, to some of the other work that we did, I mean, we, we even just started simple, like, okay, let's, let's publish some reports. You know, we had some really interesting insights that we created out of some of the data we pulled out of, um, you know, implications on small businesses during COVID. And again, it's not the be all and end all in terms of, you know, fully automating small business owners' lives, but it really did give some insight in terms of sort of showcasing what's, what's been happening and starting a spotlight on that. We're actually partnering with the university in Canada, working on trying to understand supply chain so we can understand aggregate supply chain partners. So who are people buying from? And then when you start to think about some of the global economy supply chain problems we're having, contractor, for example, hey, wait a second, you might want to order that yesterday because you've used the project tracking feature, you've created an estimate for it, but just so you know, it's on backlog. And so can we start to even give rough estimates of this, these types of things are taking longer than you might think. So even just things like that, where we can start to understand aggregate implications for all of our small business owners, and then feeding the back information to let them know about what, what's going on. So that, that's one of the first problems that we're really starting to put a solution around. The other one that we, we are doing is simple things. So we're helping uh, owners better categorize their expenses. I need that. <laughs> right? You upload your bank statement. Hey, that we think that's gas. <laughs> right? So how do we even just do some of the simple things? And to your point, like people don't want to go in and categorize expenses. People want it to be automatically done for them. So how do we start to do some of those things too? So just some simple things that we're starting with as we, as we learn. And, and we take all these opportunities as, as the learnings for the team, right? To figure out how they get better. Listen, we just had an offsite at our company and we just had to do all the expenses or people are still having filed their expenses because of that one thing. It's like, they load a receipt. It's like, oh, I got to select taxi. I got to select lodging. I got. It's a bit of pain in the butt. I love the way you're thinking of this. The thing that caught my ear of you when you were talking about actual use cases, FreshBooks is deploying today that you and your team are really excited about was this supply chain issue. Because for a consumer, we think of it, oh, I can't get my microphone in time or I can't get my mug in time. But for the business owner, for those of you guys thinking about this out there, let's say you get something manufactured, you pay a deposit down so it leaves the water, it doesn't arrive to you. That is a direct impact on your all your cash flow. Your customers can't buy it. You have to reserve cash to pay your invoice. You'll pay when it lands. You got to pay possibly to replace some type of replenishment. There's all these bills probably that are due that you were expecting to be selling that product to pay those things. Like based on supply chain or external factors, however you evaluate it, whatever the future holds for FreshBooks, how does it impact cash? What are there like, um, I guess, domains of business are you guys thinking about in regards to helping a business owner make decisions? Because I know a couple of people in the e-commerce business and 
they're in a cash crunch right now, more so than ever, uh, right in the buying season. Because some of these companies, they straight up have not received their goods that they're hoping to sell in fourth quarter, which is crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And you know, most retailers, I think, do 50% of their business in the last month of the year, so or if not more. I don't think I said this, but FreshBooks really focuses on service-based businesses. So what we think about is your types of you know, legal professionals, web designers, contractors, interior designers. Us, podcasters. <laughs> podcasters, right? So people who are either do, you know, have job-based or service-based businesses. And so if you think about what they're doing, their problem, I'm not going to say it's worse because I feel like this isn't like a who wore it worse conversation. But you know, the reality is, is that if they don't have their goods... So, you know, if you're thinking about a contractor, you're in the middle of a construction project, you don't have a very happy customer if, you know, you should have placed the order for whatever you needed. And now you're like, there's real cost implications, not only for you, but for your clients, right? If, if you can't get a, the work done in time or you have serious delay. So, so, so there's a lot of really interesting things, you know, that we're trying to understand really. And so first step one is to say, okay, can we look at all of the data that we have? Can we understand, can we understand some of the supply chain implications? We're in the, uh, I'd say, hypothesis stage right now around, you know, we believe we have robust enough data to understand, you know, what we can do. We're working with the university to to get some of the logistics data that that exists out there. And then we're trying to figure out, okay, now, now what's the thing that we think makes it all click and, and, and how do we make it real for folks? So this process requires quite a bit of, like you said, ideation, creative thinking, hypothesis testing you mentioned before. So how do you guys go about, I guess, or how does the team, how do you encourage your team to bring up ideas, think of solutions? I know being customer-centric has got to be one of them where you're talking to customers. How many outside sources are, do you bring in to hear different ideas? Because that's always the question, right? What can we do with this? It's one thing to have a lot of data. The next question, the, the real question is what can, what can we answer and what's worth exploring? Because that's another one. Once you laser in on an idea, now you have to figure out a way to answer it. For sure. So, I mean, there's always the analysis paralysis conversation and, and, and there's the, you know, the how much time do you spend exploring, exploiting and all those kinds of things. I mean, I think the way we've thought about this one is we had an interesting opportunity with the university we were working with. And so it sort of organically came up as an idea that we had. We've also been spending some time, as I mentioned, we were doing expense categorization. And so sort of that was where we started as the, of a simpler problem around expense categorization and said, okay, well, we've spent a lot of time understanding our expense data. What other things can we understand about it? And then we were working with this with a university grad student around a logistics problem. And so this one sort of naturally came up, you know, sometimes serendipitously they came up. Um, my perspective though, is that at FreshBooks, we are like customer obsessed is the term, spend a lot of time understanding the pain points of our customers and what we can do for them. And so we generally take that and then say, okay, what can we do with it? What, what can we go and explore? And my what I like to do with my team is I like to say that about, you know, depending, especially in the data science area, about 20% of their time should be exploration. Like, you know, how do we start to understand the data that we have and come up with ideas? And it's a partnership, right? Like, I think there's this notion of you need a business stakeholder and you want the business to be bought in, but if you, you also have to help the business stakeholders come to ideas. And so if you just wait for direction, you're not going to get necessarily the best product. And so I think that that's something that I know that I've seen and I saw it in my previous life that different teams will, you know, like if you think Storm and Norm and, and things like that. And I think finding that right level of business stakeholder, someone who wants to use the data and the data team who understands the business well enough and the data well enough to then come up with, okay, we understand that you've got these goals. Let's go and look at the data and figure out some cool things that we can do to help you try to achieve them. 
I'm curious about some of the new techniques you're starting to see, new technologies, new services that are now emerging to help better understand data. On this show specifically, we've had a lot of people share some insights with like how artificial intelligence is changing. Obviously, machine learning is changing. Those are the two big categories they say are you know, definitely driving the ability to understand information, to gather insights quicker. What are some of the things or products or services or groups that you're seeing doing really innovative stuff to help you, know, help you as a steward of this mission? There's a ton out there. Up in Toronto here, there's a, an organization called the Vector Institute that's got some really interesting research that's coming out. So, so there's a lot of stuff that they're publishing that I'm spending a lot of time listening to and understanding. A lot of stuff coming up, you know, coming around through the university. We're though at the place right now where we're still trying to, we're still a bit at phase zero. When I think about where we are, if you, like I joined, you know, eight, 10 months ago, we are in this place of understanding our data categorizing and then understanding what we have and starting to really build meaningful use cases where we need to get to. And, and, and what excites me is when you start to think about like ML as a service and how you can interact with it much more dynamically than, than probably you know, in the past and sort of making it a little bit more lightweight. When I think about some of the work that I was doing even before I was at FreshBooks, I uh, spent a lot of time in natural language. And I think some of the innovation that's coming out there is really going to change the ecosystem especially, and so the thing that makes me excited when I think about FreshBooks, and we talked about 100 and however many countries, is how do we start to serve multiple languages? How do we start to support in multiple languages without having people have people who speak all of those languages? And so for me, if I think about you want about the technology that I'm watching the closest, that's the one, is translation. I love that because I actually had a problem inside of my financial software recently. Uh, it's okay to say, I'll say, I think it's fine to say, I, I, I'm not a FreshBooks customer today, but maybe you convinced me to change, right? We use <laughs> QuickBooks over here. But what happened was I wanted to issue a refund and I thought that I could just type in refund and it would just bring up some options for how to do a refund, but it didn't. I'm not an accountant, therefore I don't know accounting terms. So if all my search hits are based upon only accounting terms, I will never find my answer because I don't know to ask the question in the, like, you know, oh, you should have asked for a chargeback. I'm like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I asked for a refund. That's what I want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's going to be a big one because that this is a field where most people just, I mean, we just don't spend enough time in it. Like I, I don't think most business owners start businesses for the purposes of doing their accounting and their own books. So like your hypothesis, I think here of getting colloquial language to bring back, let's say accounting or technical terms. If you can solve this, this will be a game breaker because I'm telling you, it's very hard as someone who's not an accountant to search these terms or get support because most, as you can imagine, most software support tools are uh, you know, knowledge base, you got to do a search, you got to, then you got to be able to read it. So, and, and I could see that helping out a ton. Now, the big challenge, of course, is translating what someone says into like an actual <laughs> technical term. Like that's pretty tough. When you think about your career, you know, I wanted to kind of share, you, since you hit on it a little bit, you, you've been, the way I would describe your career is constantly doing really hard things. You got your degree in applied science and engineering, chemical engineering, and applied mathematics. I mean, I probably couldn't pass three of your classes. Um, <laughs> first job is bioprocess engineering. Talk about how that, how, how that, like, I guess that you have a very scientific mind. Clearly, you mentioned hypothesis, testing. You have a background in it. Talk about how that's helped you in your career because it's, it's, it is a different background than a lot of our other guests before. They don't, they don't always have science backgrounds. 
So full transparency, I uh, was in high school, was trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, what I should do in university. And I was like, do I do fine art or do I do engineering? And I was like, I'll probably make more money if I go be an engineer. <laughs> that, that's, that was, I was like, I'll do art on the side. That was exactly how it started. And, and when I think about my career, that was sort of the path the whole way was like, what can I do that's going to keep all the doors open so I don't have to make any decisions or like don't have to pick something. You know, I went into engineering, the school that I went to, Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Part of the reason I picked that school was because they don't make you even pick which type of engineering you do for a full year. It's like a general first year, right? Because I was like, I don't know any of these things. So I spent four years there. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do when I left university. I had an interview at Procter & Gamble, but 45 minutes outside of Kingston, Ontario, which is like two hours outside of Toronto. Procter & Gamble has a factory where they make always maxi pads. And so I had, a, I had a job interview to be like the engineer to like help automate the, you know, to be the person who helped engineer maxi pads. And I was like, this is like the be all and end all job working in a Procter & Gamble engineering job. And I went home and I was like, is this my life? Like, is this what I'm going to do for a living? I'm going to make maxi pads in like a small town in Ontario. And I kind of said like, this isn't my thing did some soul searching and decided to go into consulting. Again, broad, don't have to make any real decisions. You're like, I can go do a whole bunch of things. I go into consulting and that was sort of how it played. But what I realized over time was what made me good at my job was being analytical and using data. And so even through my whole career in telecommunications, I worked in customer support, like customer service, customer experience, retention. And again, universally analysis and data became a universal language that you can't dispute it. Right. And so I came up sort of as a client of the data organization, as, as you would say, but when I look back, I'm like, well, that's what always allowed me to do my job was because I could always find a hypothesis, test it, try another one, test it, and then come up with the answer or at least come up with, with the information to present my argument and, and to figure out how to move this forward. When the VP role at Bell opened up, to run the data program, the customer data program there and a bunch of other things. At first I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I've never been on a data team. And then I was like, well, wait a second. I've kind of been on a data team my whole life. And that's sort of how it happened. It's sort of been one of those sort of constants for me. And again, of a bit of an accidental, you know, one of those accident, but it's sort of an unintended consequence, which has been really, really nice. I love that story. I just like the idea that you're just constantly applying this idea of I'm a problem solver. I use information to solve problems. It just doesn't really matter what the problem is. If I find the answer is incorrect, then I'm closer to finding an answer that is correct. And I think that is something that is obviously present in most people that are C-suite of ranks of companies is a constant problem solving. When you think of what you're doing today, because you're moving in parallels, right? Like you have to obviously put controls in place. You're adding data sources. You're working with outside people, outside of the business, try to come up with new ideas to be a steward of the data, to innovate the company going forward. How do you envision your role effectively changing over the next year? Because you you just started this one and it's like, first thing is like, hey, let's start collecting things so I understand what we got. Now it's like the job's never done. You're still collecting, you're still gathering, but now you're probably testing more hypotheses more than ever and, and coming to answers quicker. What's some like big innovations you're hoping to pursue and push forward for FreshBooks uh, in like the next, let's say calendar year? I think for us, we're at the point exactly as we're, we're trying to figure it out, we're growing. It's been a huge hiring year for us and in a tough market. So we're, you know, we're always hiring. We're trying to find good people uh, to work on these tough problems. That's, that's probably a shameless plug for, 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 for we're looking for everybody. People, hey, but- listen, everyone that comes on the show has a recruiting pitch. You got to, because this is like, <laughs> it's very hard to put people in roles now. 
<laughs> right. And so, and so we are starting to look at the tough problems and what we're doing actually that I'm super excited about is we're actually building out teams. Seems silly, you know, obviously you're making teams, but we're taking a very heavy data product management approach. So we're, we're thinking about what are the data products that we want to build and how are we going to move that forward? So how do we start to think about, you know, when I, when I start thinking of some of the challenges we have, like some of the stuff I'm excited to unlock is like pricing. For example, uh, you're a small business owner. You probably only operate in a geography. You know, one of the cool things about being in a big company, and I think the perspective that I bring from being, uh, so I worked at Canada's largest telecommunications company before is, you know, you've got an east and a west and a north and a south. And you're like, oh, if, when we see sales go down, is that, are they going down everywhere or only in one market? You can get these global trends to understand, or at least Canadian trends to understand, is this an everywhere market or is it a me problem? And our small business owners don't have the opportunity to do that. They're like, I don't know, is it a me problem? Is it everybody in problem? So how do we start to even give people benchmarks of like, hmm, your sales did this. What are we seeing from companies that are similar to yours? Is it going up? Like at the end of the day, people want their data to say like, should I be happy or sad? At the end of every day, you go to sleep and you're like, like, did I do good today or did I do bad today? How do we give people at least a guideline to say, your sales might have gone down, but if they went down less than everybody else's, maybe you should be happy. And so, right? so, so I, th- I think there's that notion. So pricing is a huge one. I think that we can start to unlock for people. How do you understand what you should be pricing yourself at in your market? If you want, you know, especially as people, more people are going virtual and especially, you know, if we think about some of the services that we offer, like web, you know, that are, that we offer, that our small businesses offer web design, they don't have to be as local as they used to. People are very much comfortable now being on Zoom or some other virtual you know, meeting platform, you're less likely to have to only operate in your local market, but maybe pricing is different outside of your local market. You don't know. So pricing is another one I want to understand. It fascinates me. And so again, if we can start to unlock some health metrics, the other one that, we, that I'm super excited about that we've been thinking around is credit and lending. We understand your payment patterns. If we can prove that you've got really good payment, then can you get better terms with some of your vendors? Can you get a better line of credits? Like, like if you think about what this could unlock is really, you know, to your point, like how do we help people with their cash management? How can we get them better payment terms? How can we get them bigger loans if there is the opportunity to do that? So those are some things that I'm super excited about, really trying to turn the needle on for the, over the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Yeah, this is exactly the sweet spot of where I've spent most of my career operating this like zero to $10 million businesses and Let's take, for example, uh, a common services business right now that's that's about to potentially transform again, right? Like the restaurant industry right now, they got to figure out like, how are they going to do this, right? Every restaurateur is probably thinking right now, is my labor coming back? Are people going to continue ordering to go? Do I need delivery drivers? Do I need to, you know, meld with the delivery systems? Like So like your ability, if it came to fruition, which I, I love the fact that you're trying to answer these questions, but you have the ability to forecast like, even like lines of service, like you kind of mentioned, like, is my line of service demand going to change? What's going to happen? Am I doing, like you said, am I doing okay? Am I doing, am I selling, if I'm a restaurateur, am I selling enough to go versus in restaurant compared to other people in my area or my metrics on health? I think that's one of the things that so many businesses, of course, could benefit from. I mean, we think of entire industries that transform super quickly, whether through natural causes or unnatural causes, whatever you want to say. They just don't have that information. They don't, like you said, they don't have teams of analysts to figure this out for them. It's just some person, some person sitting there like, I don't know what to do next. So yeah, if you could answer those questions, I think I could see it be invaluable to the point where every business would want to start 
would start with FreshBooks because like at least I got like a like a watchdog working with me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everybody wants, a data watchdog. <laughs> exactly. Someone helping me out. Well, Mara, it was awesome having you on the show. But before you leave, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Mara, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work so our audience could get to know you better. Okay. You ready? Yep. All right. So you mentioned earlier that you had a love of art. Is that piece behind your head, your art? It is my art. Take a good look, everybody. This is what she's capable of. I think it's pretty cool. What style of art would you describe that your favorite? Do you like painting? You like sculpting? Like I like painting. I used to like sculpting, but it's really messy. But I like painting a lot. <laughs> How often do you paint? Uh, before COVID, I used to paint every week. Now I don't paint so much at all anymore. But uh, no, I was I was doing a course actually before. Um, I try to do something that is not work related. So I also love cooking. Actually, cooking is probably the art that I like doing the most. Because I think it's art. And I also used to take courses in that too. So We pulled that little detail off of the FreshBooks site that you enjoy cooking up culinary masterpieces with your two children. What dish would you say is that you are amazing at? I've been making lately this mushroom pasta thing that's out of this world. I have to say I've nailed it. Like <laughs> totally nailed it. And I don't really say that about my own food. I actually though like making things, different things all the time. I don't have a dish. My favorite thing is to try something new and hope for the best. I think my actual specialty is like taking food and the, the leftovers in the fridge that are going to go bad and like make something awesome. That is what, like, if you want to make me the most happy, that's what makes me the most happy. What is the essential ingredient? If I'm, if I'm a person, if I'm an aspiring chef and I want to do what you just described, which is I want to be able to whip up whatever it takes into a really good dish. What's like a key ingredient or seasoning that you think I got to have on hand and don't say salt and pepper because that's, that's a facto no. standard. So first you need butter. Uh, all the time. <laughs> then my next go-to's are soy sauce or balsamic vinegar. You need one of those two. And then there's this Italian spice called Salamoya Boyanese. And it's like a herb salt thing. And it's got, I think, like rosemary. And you can put that on anything. It's like better than Frank's Red Hot. Like you can really put this on anything. Um, anyways, you can find it in any Italian grocer. It's my fave. All right. I got to make note of that. I've never had this seasoning, but now I got to I gotta check this out. So you're whipping things up all the time. What else do you like to do? You know, I used to love to go out for dinner, spend time with my friends. Um, I have two kids. There's nine and seven. So I spend a lot of time in hockey rinks. I got a hockey player too. There you go. I'm a rink rat and I spend a lot of time at the baseball diamond uh, and the gymnastics. That's a big part of my life right now, especially as the kids are getting back into being able to do things. You know, that's a huge one. And then the other thing is I love the outdoors. So up in Canada, like we have beautiful lakes just north of us. So I spend, I love being at the lake. That's my other thing that I get super awesome pleasure from. All right. Now I got to ask you a question because one of the things I noticed about becoming a hockey dad was that parents, unlike other sports, a lot of sports, I see their parents on their cell phones, like not paying attention. Hockey parents like really watch the games. Number one, are you into it? And number two, are you loud? Do you like yell things? So, so not only my hockey parent, I'm a goalie mom, which is like the worst kind of hockey parent. <laughs> So I'm like usually like sitting in the corner by myself, <laughs> like hoping that the puck doesn't go anywhere near my kid. You can't be on your phone because if you miss the play and then the kid asks you about it, you have to know what's going on. And I, I have too many times been quizzed, tried to sort of know what happened and I got it wrong. And so I, I do pay attention. Goalie keeps, keeps coming up, by the way. IT leaders, for some reason, you guys keep either being goalies or have goalie kids. 
what is your recommendation for keeping that gear less smelly? That's a good question. Uh, actually, my kids, his stuff is not smelly at all. That's unbelievable. I think, but he's only nine. I think I've got like another year or two. You keep it frozen in the garage and then doesn't have the opportunity to permeate, right? My, my hockey player is 13 now, so I don't know what to do with him. I'm not, I don't let his stuff in the house, but yeah. <laughs> Mara, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing some of your career. Thanks for sharing how you are envisioning being in the steward of data, as you suggested, for FreshBooks. It's really exciting having companies. In my opinion, I have a special heart, I think, for companies that focus on small business because there's just more, obviously, there's more of us. And, you know, there's a lot of, there's certain people out there when they'll say like, hey, if you're going to start a business, don't make one for small business because they're harder to manage. They You generate less revenue. So there's got to be someone looking out for us. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks so much for having me. 